0: I'm Kyle Mylan, and after 20 years in manufacturing, nobody knows more than me about industrial marketing and technical sales. I was the problem, the only one stopping me. I didn't right. like it. I had to refocus. Now I'm devoted. I know
1: where I'm going. Controlling the emotions. I'm owning the moment. In order to get it, see you got to want it. This type of flow,
0: making living. I'm back. It's Thursday at noon, and we are here to talk shop. Today's show, Thursdays, every once in a while, we bring in some sluggers from the industrial industry that are doing some cool stuff and we just want to have a general conversation with it. So today we've got Misa. What's going on, man?
1: Hey, Kyle. Good, good. How are you? Thanks for having me.
0: Doing well. So explain to the audience, tell me what it is that you do, who do you work for and what what you've been up to.
1: So my name is Misa. I'm a, a founder of this company called Formic. We are a robotics as a service company. The way that I like to describe robotics as a service is... Most of the people are familiar with software as a service where you subscribe to some sort of software, whether it's your ERP system or CRM, and you're not worried about who's doing the backend. Make sure the software works exactly the way you want. Way you, want you log into your computer. It does exactly what you need. We're bringing that to hardware. We provide automation to manufacturers through a subscription hourly rate. We take on deployment, engineering design of different types of machinery and put it on our customer's floor. You maintain it, we service it. If it doesn't work, they don't have to pay us. We only charge for the uptime of the machines that we deploy. The reason we're doing this is I'm sure everybody on the call is familiar with the labor shortage that everybody's experiencing. So we want that companies acquire automation without all the hassle that typically goes into buying capital equipment. So they subscribe to our robots, we put it on their floor, it works exactly like an operator would.
0: And the reason why we want to bring on the show is when I first heard about you guys, I've never heard of that as robotics as a service, right? Like nobody's doing that. So is there specific markets or manufacturing type locations that you guys are focused on? Or is this something that could be broadly available to anybody?
1: We are mostly focused on manufacturing. I'd say the high sector we deploy automation is food, beverage, consumer package goods, space, then metal machining and fabrication, plastic injection molding are close, second and third. We could deploy all sorts of variety of robots because we can build pretty much any machines that people use in discrete manufacturing space. Oftentimes there's a robot involved in it. Most of our customers are small, medium-sized companies, and this is probably the first or second robot they're getting on their floor. So new to automation, not a ton of automation at their facilities. You know, There are usually you know, less than a couple of hundred employees.
0: So I'm a manufacturing owner of a facility. And I'm like, look, I know that I need to get into automation, one, for, for the labor shortage because I can't find people, two, increase efficiency, increase throughput. And I'm like on the fence about what system should I go with? Is that where you guys can come in and say, look, don't even buy Don't even worry about purchasing the equipment. We can rent it to you. And then if it works out well, could they then eventually purchase that from you guys? Or is it, is it strictly from a use it until you guys get your own system in place?
1: Yeah. So we don't offer purchase on our systems. We deploy automation to our customers only through subscription. And I think there's a huge advantage in in subscribing to automation rather than buying it, especially because most of the manufacturers don't know what their needs going to look like two, three, four, five years down the road. So to have that flexibility to be able to use other equipment when they need it, it, it's uh, it's extremely valuable. So Oftentimes we walk manufacturing facilities, we identify areas that automation could be applied and we suggest what we think our hourly rate would be for those types of automation. And they could opt into anything from a one year contract all the way up to six, seven year contract, depending on the level of comfort and the, the forecastability of the product line that they're running on that line. So The short answer is we don't sell them. And I think it's more beneficial to to rent the automation uh, than to go ahead and buy.
0: it. I mean, that's a great solution to be able to say, all right, look, you don't have to worry about the capital equipment purchase. You don't have to worry about budgeting it like we can come in. They don't even have to worry about having engineering staff to be able to implement these robotic systems. Right. They turn to you guys. You guys say, look, based on your application, this is what you need. We're going to do the engineering behind it and deploy it, and then here's your your rate, and you say you charge for uptime only?
1: Exactly, exactly. So typically, if if anybody has been in the market to buy any types of automation or any types of manufacturing equipment in general, you might be overwhelmed when you walk a trade show. There's too many options. There's too much complexity in defining what is it that exactly I need. Most of the manufacturers don't have this expertise in-house. Even if they do, they're busy running their day-to-day. In order to really be able to fully qualify what kind of automation you would need, and then make sure it's set up properly. It's not something that all manufacturers are, you know, have have the capability or the time really to to go ahead and do. So we take that off their plate. You know, typically when you go out there and try to buy automation, you are paying a bunch of money up front and the, the, the machine shows up uh, at your doorsteps. It might it might not work based on the specs that you agreed on. We are turning that game on its head a little bit. Unless our machine is working as as we all agreed on. The manufacturer's obligation to us is nothing. So in, in this scenario, we're taking on the complete risk of the performance of the system. And we have a team of engineers that have combined you know, 300 years of experience in spec and automation equipment. So we are finding the right solution every time for every, every project that our customers might need.
0: That's crazy. And you guys, so you guys are based out of Chicago, right? That's right. Which part of Chicago? Because that's my old stomping grounds. That's where I was yeah,
1: born and raised. We, we are in River North.
0: Okay, oh, you're literally in Chicago, and you're in the nice right. part, River North. You got the nice views, man. What's the craziest experience you've had since doing this, where somebody either says, I want to do this, or can your robotics do that? Like, what's the, what's the craziest story you have to share?
1: Yeah, I think generally, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people, when they think about automation and robotics, they think that automation and robotics should do anything. And oftentimes, they take us to the most complicated project that they can find on their floor, right? Because that's just the biggest bottleneck. That's, that's the job that nobody wants to do. So oftentimes, you see a lot of projects that are just not economically feasible to automate. We have a saying in automation, robotics says, you could throw enough money at anything, you could automate it. But oftentimes, those type of complicated projects don't have an ROI, neither for us nor for the customer who's renting the machine. So we're trying to kind of get them onto a more standardized uh, set of automation that's tried and true while exploring those complicated projects, right? One of our, you know, I think generally, I probably walked over fifteen hundred different manufacturing facilities in my lifetime. So I've seen it. I've seen it all. I can't think of any specific one that I could share right now that was a really complicated project. But we, we come across all sorts of really interesting applications. Yeah, at least me personally in my lifetime,
0: I think that it's awesome to be able to provide the market with something a little bit different, right? This is how this is how businesses get attention is because they're offering things that are different from the norm. Misa could have said, hey, I'm going to go be a, a machine reseller and I'm going to sell these robotics to people. But he's flipping it on his head and like, dude, you can rent the stuff from me and we're only going to charge you for uptime. I mean, I don't know what better situation you can get than that if you're looking to add some automation, either for you're looking to add automation for the first time to your plant or even if you've already got some automation in place and you've got a specific project they can come in and do all the engineering behind it put a robot on your floor and then and then you can pretty much take it from there and they're there to support you how big like when when you guys were building the team what type of struggles did you guys run into with developing a team and figuring out like all of these moving parts cuz this is completely different i feel like than what most companies offer in robotics
1: so I think we have some strength in numbers. You know, we, we have a lot we have a huge partner network of machine builders and integrators that are very good at what they do. And we have a team of engineers that understand different technologies so they could work with our partners and develop the right technologies. I think there's a, a huge shortage in, in, in people who understand robotics and automation. So we tend to bring on, combine people with a ton of years and years of experience with people who don't have a ton and kind of teach them the, teach them the automation industry. So our team is a good mixture of the veterans in industrial automation, robotics space, and people who maybe one or two, three years out of school. So I think the struggle is really the awareness of, this being a career path for for people, right? So I think we try to kind of go advocate. I myself, my co-founder, we try to go to school. We try to we go on 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 different areas where we can kind of advocate for the for for how cool this industry is. But I think the biggest struggle that we have is in hiring people who you know who are even interested in coming in, into this space of automation and robotics in general because oftentimes I feel like there's this stigma with, with manufacturing and automation that's you know it's not safe you know it's you know it might go away so we're kind of trying to break that uh, stigma a little bit by, by kind of showing all the cool things that could be done in manufacturing space with introducing new technologies such as robotics.
0: I mean I feel like if, if you're if you're running into those hurdles like imagine what those machine shops are and they're like we need a tool and die maker That's not cool. That's not sexy. Kids aren't like, yeah, you know what I want to do when I grow up? I want to be a tool and die maker. At a minimum, they they would be more interested in like, hey, I can do robotics. Like there's robotics programs in in high school and even in middle school. And if you're having those issues, I mean, I feel like this is a broad issue in the entire country and probably the world, but at least in this country where the younger generation isn't isn't doesn't see enough cool stuff in manufacturing to where they're like, I want to get into that industry and I love robotics. So robotics. So I want to go into that. It's just getting that awareness out there, right?
1: Absolutely. I think, you know, at least what we see from the customers who are using our technology or who are deep in their toes in automation and robotics, it's one way for them to attract more talent, right? Because if you're walking a manufacturing facility and you're seeing them, they're investing in, you know, cutting edge things at their, at their factory floor, you're more inclined to stick around, even if you're an employee that's there part time, or if you're an interning during the summer. Just seeing that people are, you know, manufacturers are investing in new technologies and bringing cutting edge uh, things, it would entice people to stick around. And we hear that from all of our customers, who have, you know, have had multiple robots. They're kind of people are walking. They're intrigued by, by the concept, and I think robots are going to be a fundamental way of of, of a way manufacturers really coming out of these challenges that we're having with, with labor shortage. it's The point is not to replace people. The point is to make it more productive. The, the way I look at robotics and automation is very similar to what personal computing, laptops and computers did to office workers in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s. It's not like we got rid of office employees because we had computers. We just made them a lot more productive than they used to be. And I see robotics and automation very much in the same facet. You know, once we have more robots at factory floors, Instead of people doing, you know, the dull and dirty jobs, they could kind of oversee processes and become, you know, level up, make more money and therefore make more money for the manufacturer because now they're doing more value at tasks rather than loading a machine or stacking boxes.
0: That's definitely a good insight into it. Like, because I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, robotics are killing. They're taking over jobs. They're going to be replacing people, which is which is obviously not the case, like now all you, now you need new jobs. You need robotic programmers and people that you're just trying to make the the physical workers more efficient. And in, in my opinion, it creates new jobs to create the robotics. It's not like some futuristic world where robots are doing everything in manufacturing. The skilled labor is still important, but finding a way to work those two pieces of the puzzle together. Talk to me about, from a sales standpoint, because I'm always interested in in the sales talks. When you guys are going in and talking to a potential customer what type of objections do you get from them and and what is your response to overcome those objections when somebody's like eh, i don't know about this yeah
1: oftentimes we find ourselves selling manufacturers on two new two new things right and and manufacturers oftentimes are are not quite comfortable with new things in general because they're you know they they kind of like the, the i think let me back up a little bit generally you know if you're a manufacturer in the US it's really hard to be a manufacturer in the US, like the supply chain is a mess, you're, you're, the labor pool is, 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 is shrinking and you don't want to take bets. You don't want to take huge risks and therefore you, you evaluate and reevaluate and you talk to your colleagues and people in the industry before making decisions. You don't make decisions very quickly. Because that could have catastrophic impact in, in in your business, and we understand that. What we pitch them oftentimes is is automation and robotics is oftentimes new to them. While we also pitching them on, on a new way of acquiring automation and robotics and manufacturing equipment in general, right? So, oftentimes when bundled two new things and it presented to somebody, it, you know, they, it takes a long time for them to kind of wrap their mind around. You know, whether this is the right technology and whether this way of acquiring it is the right way to acquire it, it takes a lot of communication because it's new, right? So we understand that, therefore, we have people that understand the technology itself really well. So to make the customer really comfortable with the with the fact that, hey, we know what we're doing, they've done this a long time for a long time. At the same time, you know, we have to educate our customers on why acquiring automation through a rental model or a service model is a lot more cost effective compared to you going and acquiring automation on your own through your capital expenditure. So I'd say the biggest objections we get is you're a new company. You've only been around for two years. You know, I have to go and evaluate different with with other vendors or I have to go and evaluate internally with with our financial team. Because, again, nobody really provides automation as a service. So their, their CFOs oftentimes get involved pretty soon and trying to figure out what the tax implications are going to be. So it's a pretty complicated sale because, you know, not only the plant level team needs to be comfortable with technology itself, but also the financial portion of the organization needs to be comfortable with the way that's going to look on their balance sheets, for example. So there's some educational you know, that we have to do. And and just to insert this in, in, in the part of this conversation too, like the way that our subscription works is it doesn't sit on your balance sheet, so it doesn't count toward your borrowing capacity because just like a service fee, just like your utility bill or cleaning fee or whatnot. So we have to kind of educate our customers on robotics as a service, and also we have to educate our customers on the technologies that we're using. So oftentimes those are the two biggest objections that we get that we try to
0: work through. And that makes sense, right? Because you've got something new. It's it's going against the traditional way that most people are used to dealing with it, right? Like any new product. And then so you have to educate them first. You understand what they're probably going to say because you guys have been doing this for long enough. So you have to educate them on the different of the process. Not only you don't have to buy it, you're just going to be renting it from us. Then also the financial aspect. I have to assume that once you go through that process, people are like, oh, yeah, you know what? This makes a lot of sense. How much growth have you guys seen since you guys started a few years ago and you released this model? Is it Are you guys going straight through the roof? Is it a slow and steady growth? What's the growth look like?
1: Yeah, we were growing a couple hundred percent a quarter, both in you know, uh, revenue and the number of customers that we were acquiring. Just to give you a reference, we were 17 people in the beginning of the year. We had about 63 or four, and we have about 15 other open positions. So you know, to, to say that, to say that you're yeah, we going, we're, we're going pretty fast and you're hiring as fast as we can.
0: I just feel like there's not a lot of people, if any, I didn't do the research, but there's not a lot of people offering this, especially in the heart of Midwest, being able to be like, look, we got the team, we got the expertise, we've got these things all over the place. Now it's time to start convincing people, like, I know you've been doing it this way, but here's something new that I want you to think about. Um, I feel like this thing could get legs like extremely fast, and that you guys can continue to see year over year, max, massive type of growth in this model. How are you guys? Are you guys just have that Chicago location, or do you have locations otherwise? way? Other no, we, our
1: team, I'd say a focus mostly in the Midwest is the bulk of our team. I'd say probably 60% of our team is in the Midwest in general. I'd say, yeah, maybe 50%. And we are hiring in different parts of the country. We have engineers, we have sales engineers and, and you know we have uh, a lot of a lot of people that work remotely because our customers are are really all over the place and we want to be able to go visit their facilities but we have systems in the midwest we have systems in the southeast we have systems uh, you know uh, northeast and, and 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 west coast the majority of our team is focused uh, majority of our our initial business initial customers are in the midwest
0: you guys got, any, got anybody down here in texas
1: we have somebody that's covering Texas from okay. North Carolina.
0: No. Do you have any customers down here yet?
1: Not yet, but we're very close.
0: Okay. Okay. Hopefully, hopefully, we can get you some, yeah. uh, even with this exposure. Like, I, I think there's a lot of companies, at least down here, that could definitely use your guys' help, based on companies that we talk to every single week. How, how has it been like growing this business? Was it something that you, you just thought of it, and then you're like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm gonna go get investors to fund this thing. Or was it something that you've been planning for a decade? Talk to me about like how you guys got going, you personally and your co-founder from where you're at to where, where you started off with to where you're at. Cause I feel like a lot of people need to hear from these industrial entrepreneurs that are still trying to create new systems.
1: You know, I consider myself extremely lucky uh, because I, you know, first I had the chance to walk a lot of manufacturing facilities and hear firsthand what their challenges are with deploying automation or robotics. So I kind of had this idea of providing this type of solution to to customers. And, And the idea was a lot of manufacturing is struggling with labor problems. Automation is complicated. That's why they don't have any on their floor they have labor shortage, they're willing to pay an hourly rate for, for, for something or somebody to come and do the task. Like, What if you could provide automation to them uh, in that fashion? So this idea was kind of brewing in my head for, for a couple of years. And I, you know, my co-founder, Salman, he comes from a venture capital background, invests in a lot of robotics companies. Me and him, me and him kind of started talking, really the idea started growing legs. And then his his connections really in the in the space of you know venture capital really helped really expedite our our fundraising process. And I think my background in automation and manufacturing helped us in, in acquiring our initial customers and really hiring the initial team to go and get this done. I'm I'm happy to lend a hand to whoever is looking to start a business in the industrial manufacturing space and make all the right connections. But sometimes you might be tough without any connections and knowing somebody in that in in the investment space to go and at least. Get an audience to your idea, uh, 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 and and, and kind of let people kind of help you and, and raise the initial funding. So I think we had a, we we were we were fairly really, we, we were fairly lucky to kind of come together and and be able to kind of start the business together. And uh, you know I'm happy to help anybody else who who wants to kind of start something in this space as well.
0: I mean I f- I feel like we don't hear enough about those stories, right? Like when I first got into industrial back 22 years ago, like there was a group of people and they were like the pioneers that had started a business 20, 30, 40 years previous. And there's just not enough people these days that are like when they're looking to start a business, go into industrial. I feel like there's other industries or other things that are cooler, different different avenues that people want to get into and say, Hey, I'm going to start a business doing X, Y, and Z. I feel like industrial is just like low on the list. 3D printing, you know, it's seen a lot of people that are starting cool stuff with that. But I feel like besides that, there's not a ton of pioneers that are going out and saying, you know what, I want to create an industrial company that's doing this service or this product or whatever. And I'm going to give it a go and give it my all. Talk to me about as you guys have been growing and scaling, what type of issues have you come into with growing and scaling your team besides like finding people that want to work into it. But talk to me about like just the, the dynamics of saying like, all right, we're at this location. And as you guys grow over the last two years, what type of issues have you run into?
1: One of the biggest challenges has been we are a remote company. So majority of our team is not in the office. And as you're growing and scaling the team as fast as, as we have, you know, I think getting everybody aligned on the messaging, getting everybody aligned on the processes is, is, is something that, you know, we had to learn because none of us has really worked in remote companies. Typically, most of us have Either either worked at at a, at, a, at a single place, or we go and talk to our colleagues every day. So I think that was that was a big challenge that we had to overcome: getting everybody on the same page, make sure the messaging is right, make sure people understand the processes so they could do their job right and align in the mission that we are trying to do. The, you know, there's a lot of tools and resources that really helped us to 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 kind of maybe create a remote company during a pandemic. So. I, I'm not going to say we're perfect, but you know we're definitely striving. We, we're a lot better than we were a year year and a half
0: ago. Dude, on that remote working thing, like, like as we've grown and scaled over the last couple of years, especially after COVID, going and looking for new people, it's like so many times I'm running into issues. I mean, I would kind of expect it on our side as a marketing agency, sales and marketing agency, but people are like, mm, I don't really want to go into the office anymore. I'm looking for only remote work. It's like COVID happened and everybody's like, I only want to work remote. So that made us change our policies internal to where the way that we do it. Anybody that's located in Austin comes into the office three days a week, Monday through Wednesday, and then they have optional Thursday, Friday, remote work from home, work from wherever days. I feel like that's the only way to get a good balance out there. I'm even hearing from our clients and people that we talk to, like a lot of people in manufacturing said, you know what, after this COVID thing was done, I don't want to go back to the office. So there's numerous positions where they stayed remote and that's now just like the new way of doing things and hundred percent agree. Like we're not perfect at all. You can only, ha- only have so many tools. Preferably we want to be able to interact with people face to face. Cause I feel like that just builds a culture and rapport with people, but having tools like Slack and cloud-based project management systems, and having frequent meetings and things like that. That's really the only way to make sure that, like, as your team grows, people are remote, that they still feel part of the culture, part of the team, and they're not just out on an island themselves.
1: What we try to do, not that we don't have to spend a ton of money on a huge office space, we get together at least twice a year and the whole team comes together and, and we'll do a company-wide off-site and do all sorts of fun activities and hang out. And the individual teams try to get together once a quarter to kind of meet up and align on goals. So we try to do those events and make them really fun and make them memorable. So that's been that's been really good. Uh, But I think one thing that people kind of underestimate when they think about, I guess they don't they don't think about it's kind of a benefit because when you when you can hire remotely and hire people everywhere, you 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 can tap into a much larger talent pool which wasn't available to you right so if you had everybody be here in Chicago we might not be able to hire the project managers the engineers that we have in our team because they are kind of spread, uh, spread uh, in different parts of the country.
0: Because we do have some employees that are remote like if I need somebody specific you know for a specific role the biggest challenge I face is like Do you want to work with industrial companies, right? Like the marketing we do is not for Under Armour. It's not for Nike. It's not some cool, fancy stuff. Like we work with industrial companies. Some of them are massive and they do amazing things. But it's really when I talk to people, I kind of sell them on, like, look, this isn't cool. This isn't fun unless you think that this is interesting. So if you don't think that industrial manufacturing is interesting, how stuff is made and working with those companies, then you're definitely going to get burnt out on this job. And you're going to be like, you know what? This is boring. I keep working with the same boring type of companies. For me, it's in my blood that this is really the the main field that I love to work with. So I've got a passion for it. But we we ran into similar issues with trying to find top key talent. We don't have to. Over the last seven years, I've never had to, to strictly confine it to a specific area because of technology. And nowadays it's even easier. But still I try when we have open positions available, I try and say, hey, if they can be in Austin and be close to the office and come to the office three days a week. That is preferred. But if I have to, then we can go outside of that. That's something that I don't think is ever going to change. Do you?
1: I don't think so. I, I think just being able to offer this flexibility and let people kind of get their job done whenever they are at, the, at, at, at their convenience without having to come to an office and commute like an hour, an hour and a half, especially when you're in Chicago, it, it will unlock a lot of – unlock a huge – productivity for, for, for all the companies. So I don't think it will go away.
0: This is just the new norm, right? Yeah. Even for industrial, like that's the thing is like the last industry that you would ever think. Like I I remember talking to people once uh, COVID things started opening back up and they're like, Oh, like, do you want to jump on a video call? And I'm like, yeah, we've been doing those for like seven years. And like, Oh, we just started and I love this stuff. So it's funny to see people that have been somewhat removed from that being the norm in some industries to where now it's like the norm in industrial, which is typically one of the slower industries to adapt to things like that. It's, it's interesting and funny at the same time. Tell me a story that if you could go back to when you started a couple of years ago, what's, what's like one or two major things that you would have changed from when you first started? I've got like hundreds of things that I would have changed, but now in the position that you're at now, What's one thing that you, that you feel like, man, I wish that I would have known this and I would have changed that when I got started?
1: There's definitely a ton, but that's just part of the learning process. I think the big one for me personally would have been, because oftentimes when you kind of uh, have an idea in your head, you assume that everybody understands it the exact way you understand it, right? So I think being able to communicate things very clearly in a, in a fashion that everybody understands through documentation, through videos, and just having a collaborative way that people could kind of raise their hand and and, and and kind of communicate on things that they don't quite understand or the process that they they need help with is really important when you kind of coming up and and starting in a new business and a new idea and you hiring people as fast as 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 you're hiring now. So that's the only thing I'd change, maybe clear, more clear process on different parts of our parts of our business for for people to get up to speed uh, a lot quicker and feel feel really comfortable when they start rather than. In a couple of months, in I'm not really sure where to get that document, or how do I say this, and what's the answer to this question? So that's one thing I would have, I would have tried to start, uh, get a head start on early on.
0: Yeah, that's one of those things that that you kind of just learn as you go, right? I mean, I, that's definitely on my list of things I wish I would have uh, done differently. Amongst, I feel like I feel like every day as an entrepreneur, as a business owner that went and put themselves out there like you did, every day you're learning, every day you're making mistakes, every day you're trying to be better. It just comes down to not making those same mistakes twice and you should be good to go moving forward. And so with that being said, guys, we will see you on the next one. Well, that's it for this episode. If you got value out of it, please subscribe to this podcast and share it with one person you know. And if you can, leave me a review because it really helps me out. If you want to check out my other content, go over to YouTube. I've got a channel over there as well as find me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook under my name, Kyle Mylan. I will see you on the next one.